Holy God, to you our hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Speak now, O Lord. Your children are listening. Amen. During my time in seminary, one of the many, many books that I read is titled, The Cure. What if God isn't who you think he is? And the very first chapter of this book opens with a lengthy, unforgettable story of a life that may sound all too familiar to us, to you and me. When you're young, the life ahead of you is a pristine, never-opened book. We run, and we do not grow weary. You've just cracked the cover, the pages are white and clean, and you absolutely know that there's a grand story ahead. And when you're very young, you could be a cowboy or a ballerina. In the glory of your youth, you're the widely adored pop star or the superstar football player. But later, as time passes, the fantasies fade, but the dreams stay, and they become more focused. Maybe you'll be the first human to walk on Mars. Maybe you'll be the doctor who cures cancer. The story is whatever you dream of it to be, and you're still in these in the beginning, in the opening pages of this great novel called Your Life, and you just know the story is going to be great, it's going to be legendary, you know that you have a destiny and a purpose for your life. But as we grow older, some of those dreams begin to fade away, washed in pain and in failure. The edges of our book tatter, and sometimes the fabric falls away completely. We don't stop walking, but we might as well. We just push on down the trail that we've chosen, one foot in front of the other, but the difference is we stop wondering why. And the next thing we know, we have rocks in our shoes and our lungs lined with dust. We're tired but we keep pressing on down the road that we have chosen. But suddenly that road that we've been journeying on for so long splits. Which path do we choose? And what's even more confusing than this split in the road is what is written on the two signs at the split in the road. One arrow, pointing left, reads, Pleasing God. And the one on the right reads, trusting God. So I look up to that trusting God sign. This has to be a trap. It sounds good, 
but it doesn't really give me anything to do. How can I make a difference by just simply trusting in God? If God and I are going to be in sync, there's got to be something more than just trust. So I move over to the pleasing God sign, pointing down the left path. This has to be it. After all Jesus has done for me, the very least I can do is please him. So I set off on the path of pleasing God, shaded by towering oaks. And I'm encouraged to see that this path is well-traveled. Beaten, it's a beaten path with the feet of a million travelers. And after a long while, I see a giant looming building in the distance. And it looks almost like a hotel. And as I get closer, I can see that there's writing in bronze letters across the front of this hotel-like building that read, Striving hard to be all God wants me to be. Finally. Something that tells me what I need to do. I strive after success in my career. I strive about keeping fit, going to the gym. I ought to be any less with God. So I draw closer and I notice two large wooden doors. And above the doorknob is a small plaque that's bolted to one of the heavy wooden doors. Self-effort, it reads. Of course, makes total sense. God does his part, I do mine. It's about time someone agrees with what I'm saying. So I turn the handle and I walk in and I'm stunned to find this huge open room full of thousands of people. And I scan the group trying to take it all in. And I think to myself, so these are the people that are really living for Jesus. This is them. And soon I notice a hostess, a woman comes up and she's standing next to me and she's immaculately groomed, every hair perfectly in place, her makeup accentuates her features, her smile is wide and toothy. Nothing about her seems out of place. Welcome to the room of good intentions. She says it clean and cool, like she's been greeting people all of her life. And I reply with, you have no idea how long I've waited to find this place. I return her smile. I grasp her outstretched hand. And I call out to the crowd in excitement, almost involuntarily, hey, how's everyone doing? And the room, which is full of conversations, goes completely silent. And it's full of beautiful people, smiling people. Most of them wearing these elaborately crafted masks. This looks like my kind of place. I like masquerades. This is my kind of place. One man steps forward. His smile, like the hostess, is broad. His bleached white teeth look as if He's been, they've been lined up with a ruler. Welcome. He begins, shaking my hand firmly and fast. We're fine. Thank you for asking. We're just fine. Aren't we, everyone? And everyone in the crowd behind him nods, smiling along. My kids are doing great, and, and um, I'm about to 
close some very lucrative deals at my work. I'm more fit than I was in high school. I'm doing fine. Everyone in here, we're all doing just fine. And before I can reflect on how strange that sounded for him to answer for the whole room, the hostess asks me how I'm doing. Me? Well, unlike the rest of you, to be honest, I've been struggling with some stuff. And that's, that's partly why I decided to come here. I'm trying to figure out... She interrupts me, putting her flawless, manicured index finger to her lips. She reaches behind her podium... And she pulls out a mask and she hands it to me. She nods her head with this brief smile, indicating that I should put it on. And I stare at it for a moment. Others in the room are excitingly motioning me to put it on. And slowly, I slide the mask over my face. And I find myself answering her question as if from somewhere far away. You know what? I'm great, I'm good, I'm doing just fine. And everyone in the room smiles and returns to their conversation. This is the room of good intentions. And this room, it's impressive, it's, the decorations are nice enough, but you can feel the courage and the diligence, you can almost taste this full-hearted fervency, the accomplishments, the head-on determination. There's a Fortune 500 executive who has given away 90% of his wealth to charity. There's the lead pastor of this thriving network of churches. So many good-hearted people that fill this room. They've devoted themselves to God, to studying His character, to pouring themselves into spreading His word, to serving humanity in the name of Jesus. This must be it. Soon, sometime in the future, sometime, I'll be able to be like them. I'll be close to God again, sometime. Within weeks, run into months in this room. And people stop inviting me to their tables. And a slight unease starts to creep in. And it gets stronger by the day. And I can't put my finger on it at first. But increasingly, the path to pleasing God seems to be about how I can keep God pleased with me. And pleased with my actions. And one day it dawns on me what I've been doing to myself and everyone around me. I've been trying to meet some lofty expectation primarily to gain acceptance from people. And I don't even know why I'm performing for them. To satisfy God that I'm not even sure I can ever please. Even worse, I expect everyone around me to do the same thing. So now I'm frantically working around my way through the room, searching for someone, anyone, willing to talk about what's going on in my heart. But nobody wants to hear it. It's as if they fear expressing my concerns will expose their own fears. So even though I was certain that this room might be my only real chance of getting it right, I instead find myself slipping out the front door that I came in unnoticed. I thought I'd never leave this place when I felt the what I felt coming in, and now I'm crushed. And a few hours later, I'm sitting down back at that grassy edge of the path back at the fork in the road, and I shake my head 
and I look up as my eyes drift back up to that sign and I read the arrow pointing down the road to the right. Trusting God. And I sigh as I climb to my feet. I brush myself off and I head down the right fork. And the path is not fun. It's rougher. It's rutted. Parkmarked with stones. It's a little steeper. It's slower going. But it's, it's prettier. There's small stone bridges over these fast-flowing creeks with little fish swimming under them. And scenic vistas over vast green valleys with, with white-tailed deer detailed in these valleys. And after several hours of of pushing through briars, I see another huge building in the distance. And when I finally reach it, the words on the front of this building capture my attention. Emblazoned in tall bronze letters across the front are, living out who God says I am. First thought, that's supposed to help me how? I've been trying to live out what God wants me to be this whole time. And again, there's two huge wooden double doors and a plaque over the knob. But this time there's only one word written over it. Humility. And suddenly every effort of this entire journey collapses on me. Tears that I've kept back for so long well up as I mumble through the sobs. I'm so tired. I can't do it. Help me, God. You're more wise. You're more right. You're more loving. And I have not let you love me. I fought so hard to impress you. I fought so hard to impress everyone else. And it's just left me weary. It's, it's left me empty and alone. I'm tired of performing. I'm tired of pretending. Help me be who you want me to be. And after minutes in front of that door, I, I wipe my wet eyes and my nose on my sleeve and I run my fingers through my hair, desperately trying to pull myself back together. If this is anything like last time, I want to make sure that I make a good first impression. And puffy eyes and tear-streaked cheeks just won't do it. So finally, I reach for the knob. And as I open the door, I find that inside it's much like the other room. The layout's nearly the same as a smaller room, a smaller crowd. The decor, the decorations, they're toned down. And another hostess approaches. And like the hostess from the last room, she's gorgeous, but her beauty is more natural. She smiles, and I notice her eyes are even smiling. I realize with a start that the other hostess never really smiled with her eyes. And in a voice... So calm and complete. She says, barely above a whisper, Hello, welcome. Welcome to the room of grace. And then with a pause and a smile, she claps her hands around mine. And she says, How are you? And I thought to myself, This is a trick. The last time I answered this one, I was handed a mask. This hostess is nicer, but I'm still not convinced. 
that I can tell her. So I replied with, fine, I'm doing good. Now the whole room is watching me. And I see eyebrows tilted in skepticism as I tell them I'm fine because they can see clearly I've been crying. And my heart sinks. I'm so tired of it. I turn toward the room, all eyes on me, and I yell out to everyone that can hear. I say, hey, everybody, listen up. I'm not fine. Not fine at all. I haven't been fine for a long time. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm afraid. I feel guilty and lonely. And that just makes me even more angrier. I'm sad most of the time, and I pretend that I'm not. My life is not working out at this moment. I'm so far behind, and I'm freaked out about what to do next. I'm almost completely frozen. And if any of you religious kooks knew half of my daily thoughts, you'd kick me out of your little club. So again, I'm not doing fine. Thanks for asking. I think I'll go now. So I turn through the door, and before I have a chance to break down again, As I grab for that knob, a voice booms from the back of the room. That's it? That's all you got? Well, I'll take your anger, your guilt, and your dark thoughts, and I'll raise your compulsive sin and chronic lower back pain. Oh, and did I mention that I'm in debt up to my ears? You'd better get more on that little list first before you come in here complaining to us. And the room erupts in a warm genuine laughter and I know it's not meant to embarrass me and the hostess leans in she nudges me and smiles grabbing my hand again and says I think he means that you're welcome here and I step into a crowd of welcoming smiles and there's not a mask to be seen anywhere and right away I'd wished that I knew all these people my whole life because it's a place where I can live in the love of God. It's the room of grace. And this month, as we've been diving into Kevin Watson's perfect love, by exploring what that title, perfect love, means, we're also looking into how our life as a follower of Jesus has a trajectory or a chosen path, a taken course. Last week, Pastor Lee informed us on what real Methodism is, what, what happened to real Methodism, and how many of us have unfortunately not ever experienced real Methodism in its greatest form. And we've not experienced real Methodism in its greatest form because we have lost sight of the original mission of the people called Methodists. And that mission is simply to live in perfect love. And Kevin Watson explains that this life of perfect love is a message that God has uniquely given us to share with the world. So you see, because of this, Methodism, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, we're in the midst of an identity crisis. We're at a crossroads. We're facing the results of taking the wrong path. And because of that, we as the people called Methodists, we've forgotten who we are. We've lost sight of the Holy Spirit. We've lost sight of our unique calling. We've lost sight of our theological heritage. We've lost sight of our mission. We've forgotten our goal. And many would say that our trajectory or the course that we're taking is one that's already reached a dead end. 
But I believe that our story is not finished yet. I believe that God still has a plan for us, the people called Methodists. And I believe that it's time for us to return to our God-given mission. We have to rediscover the power of the Methodist movement that once swept across the whole world. But before we do that, we have to know first what that mission is. We have to know what entire sanctification, that big long word, entire sanctification. We have to know what that means. What, what is that? To help you, I'll give you a couple other words that will help you understand it. Entire sanctification, it's, it's a fancy term for Christian perfection. In, in Wesley's sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation, it's probably his best-known sermon, he defines entire sanctification as a full salvation from all of our sins, from pride, self-will, anger, unbelief, or as the apostles express it, go on to perfection. But what is perfection? The word has various senses. Here, it means perfect love. It is love excluding sin, love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It is love rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, and in everything and everywhere, giving thanks. So Wesley here describes Christian perfection or entire sanctification as simply perfect love. And he explains that perfect love is a full salvation from sin. Pride, anger, and and self-will are absent. And sanctification is entire in that the love of God fills the heart and, and it takes up the whole capacity of the soul. So there is no room for sin. Perfect love leads to constant rejoicing, prayer, and thanksgiving. Perfect love or entire sanctification, it's, it's a result of the grace of God. We don't practice in the means of in the we don't practice in the means of grace, those works of piety, those works of mercy to receive grace. We practice in those as a result of the grace that God has given us. So Wesley defines grace as God's bounty or favor, his free, undeserved favor. Man having zero, no claim to the least of his mercies. It was free grace that formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the living soul and stamped on that soul the image of God and put all things under God's feet. For there is nothing we are or have or nothing we do which can deserve the least thing at God's hands. That's from Wesley. And Wesley's understanding of grace moves beyond forgiveness and acceptance of our identity as beloved children of God. This understanding of grace is a deeper work than having the ability to stop in practicing sin. But it's uprooting the nature of sin by the love of God filling our hearts so much that there's no room for it. This understanding of grace moves beyond merited acts of pleasing God and hopes that he may bless us with something that we have earned. This grace is beyond what we can do, and it's all about what God will do through us. This understanding of grace is purely unearned, fully undeserved, unmerited, and a loving action of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. And you may be asking, why does God do this for us? What is God's goal? And God's goal for humanity in this plan 
is the complete restoration of the divine image and the conformity of all creation to the image of God. In other words, simpler terms, God wants us to look like Jesus. God wants us to act like Jesus. And that's only possible through the grace of God. This is our identity. This is our specific calling as the people called Methodists. This is the message of hope that God has bestowed and endowed upon us to share with the world. And friends, if I'm going to be quite honest, if you're like me, we haven't done a very good job in sharing that. We surely haven't done a good job of living it out. We've instead been sheltered in this place of comfort where we're taught that God does his part and we do ours. We've been handed a mask and our culture has told us that listening or sharing our thoughts or sharing our feelings and sharing our experiences is only for the weak. We've been in a race with each other, with other denominations to see who's the fastest, who's the holiest, Who's the one that's really living for Jesus? But it's only led us right back to that fork in the road. And now we're faced with having to make a decision again. Do we go back down that road of pleasing God? Do we go back to where we've been? Do we go back down that well-trodden path that leads to a destination that we already know doesn't work, but promises comfortability, rank, and familiarity or thank God we have an or or do we go together down that humble road of grace the road of love the road of trusting God and yeah the roads are tough there's thick briars there's stony paths and deep ruts it takes a long time to get there but this road offers us something that the other doesn't. This path, it offers us a fresh start. It offers us a chance to start over and do things right. This road offers us a chance to rewrite our story, to think creatively again about our mission as the people of God, to dream again similarly like we did when we wanted to be a cowboy when we wanted to be the next big pop star, when we, wanted to walk, when we wanted to be the first one to walk on Mars. This road invites us to rediscover our roots, uncover our heritage, and walk in God's grace. This road invites us to be honest with one another, to laugh with each other, and to let, uh, let others see the best and worst parts of ourselves. And it invites us to live out who God has designed you to be through His grace. And the room we find is a room of listening. It's a room of humility. It's a room of trust. It's a room of perfect love. It's the room of grace. 1 John 4 says that if any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God. God is love, and those who live in love remain in God, and God remains in them. Let me repeat that to you. 
if any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God, and God is love. And those who live in God's love remain in God, and God remains or lives in them. We have the opportunity of a lifetime to change the trajectory of where we're headed. We know what real Methodism is. Pastor Lee told us about that last week. We know what happened to real Methodism. We know what entire sanctification is now. We know what perfect love is. Next week, Pastor Lee will explain to us even better what it's not. But we know what it is. And we can live in that love. We can change our trajectory. You know, when this whole COVID thing started, I'll never forget the, before it started, I'll never forget when 20, right on the edge of 2020 beginning, there was people saying, 2020, the year of perfect vision. There's going to be a revival. But instead, our church numbers declined. And I believe the revival is coming now with us changing our course, changing the road we've been walking. We can change our trajectory. We can live out who God has created us in His grace to be. And we can experience that grace here and now. God will make this happen. For He who calls you is faithful. Expect it by faith. Expect it as you are. Expect it now. Christ is ready. Expect it by faith. Expect it as you are. Expect it now. Christ is ready. So Lord, we, we are ready. And we, we're expecting it. We know you can make this happen. So God... Come into our hearts and change our hearts. Change our direction. Change the course of our trajectory. Help us to make the road less traveled on. Help us to take the road less traveled on. And make it something new. Let us live in your grace and in your perfect love. Amen.